0: The entire world is watching the presidential election in Iran for signs Today's other of. Today's top story: what could be an historic opening with Iran, with the U.S. and Iran on the brink. Bloodshed br- in the streets of Iran. The mass protests in Iran are showing no signs of ending. This is Iran Uncovered, a podcast by Nufti. and in Washington D.C., I'm your host, Cameron Kanserinia. The past two weeks in Iran have been a view into the life of its people for the past 41 years under the Islamic Republic. We've witnessed regime brutality and, in response, the immense bravery of the Iranian people. Against the backdrop of protests in the United States for racial justice, protesters against the Islamic Republic in Iran are being systematically rounded up across the globe and sentenced to death for partaking in peaceful protests. Last week, three young men, Amir Hussein, Saeed, and Muhammad, after days of torture, which included repeated beatings with electrical wire, were sentenced to death for the crime of warring against God because they partook in the November 2019 uprising against the regime. Days later, the Islamic Republic announced the execution sentences of five more peaceful protesters from the previous year's uprising. A video quickly spread on Persian language social media showing one of these young men hugging his month's old daughter for the last time as regime security agents dragged him away. These men appear to be joining the list of the thousands the regime has already murdered in response to the people of Iran's ongoing protest movement. As they often have, however, the people of Iran are responding with immense bravery and defiance led by a war martyr's widow from the conservative religious city of Mashhad, Fatemse Sepehri, a Persian-language hashtag, "Do not execute," became Twitter's most used hashtag and brought immense internal and international pressure on the regime to halt the executions of Saeed, Muhammad, and Amir Hossein. Iranians also took to the streets in the southern city of Behbahan, chanting, Death to the Dictator, and Reza Shah, bless your soul, before being confronted by security forces. These two weeks have been just that, merely two weeks in the lives of millions of Iranians for the past four decades. It's indicative of why for the past three years, they've been in the middle of a nationwide uprising against that regime. Further supporting that uprising has been a decades long campaign of crimes against humanity Perpetrated by this regime against the people of Iran. To discuss that further, today we'll be joined by a preeminent Iranian human rights expert. I have to warn our listeners that because this episode will cover the gruesome crimes and practices of the Islamic Republic, some of the content may be disturbing and not appropriate for all listeners. Our guest today serves as the Executive Director of the Iran Human Rights Documentation Center. Having obtained his JD from Howard University School of Law and his LLM from Vermont Law School, he is the principal author of several IHRDC reports on Iran's LGBTQ community, women's rights, labor activism, ethnic minorities, freedom of expression, and much more. He's made it his life's work to stand up for the people of Iran and bring the crimes perpetrated against them to the forefront, and ensure their voices are heard. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Shaheen Milani. Shaheen, welcome to Iran Uncovered, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Shaheen, the The human rights situation in Iran under the Islamic Republic is frequently described as among the worst in the world. Yet, it seems that in many parts of the discourse, especially in the West, um, that, that that isn't reflected what what makes the human rights situation in Iran so abhorrent uh, well that's a very
1: answering that question takes a lot of time uh, here's the to start I want to emphasize that um, the Islamic Republic as many uh, observers have noted, is like an ISIS that has been successful. Mm. Uh, By that, I mean that it's a state that is imposing uh, Sharia law. Uh, uh, It's enforcing uh, Islamic mores on a society uh, through force. And yet, uh, it has been able, to some extent, to portray itself as a legitimate government And uh, even more problematically, uh, as um, representative of the Iranian people, although uh, the Iranian government is uh, is not elected, and uh, although it came to power after a popular revolution back in seventy nine, it does no longer enjoy the support of the Iranian people as they have demonstrated uh, clearly in numerous demonstrations and protests, and as they have uh, repeatedly shown that they dislike the government's policies both back back at home and abroad. So um, that's why uh, it is such a difficult situation, because while the government's policies are truly abhorrent and it's human rights abuses in Iran are truly abhorrent. It does not, uh, receive the same level of condemnation
0: as I think, uh, it deserves. And, and, and why is that? Is it because it portrays itself as a democratic government when indeed it is not, or, or are there other reasons?
1: well i mean it, 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 the iran government of course has a successful uh, propaganda campaign uh, that's a part of it um, another uh, issue i think is uh the fact that it has portrayed itself as an anti imperialist uh government and an or rather an anti imperialist movement mm-hmm. and therefore uh Unfortunately, um, a lot of people uh, in the West and the rest of the world uh, have uh, turned a blind eye, I would say, to what is uh, transpiring in Iran, perhaps because of uh, their attitudes and their feelings Uh, with respect to the United States and the West in general. Uh, And I think uh, your listeners have seen this, that uh, there is some uh, level of tolerance for uh, authoritarian states that happen to uh, be anti-American uh right somehow you see some praise for Castro sometimes you uh see you know praise for um even in some you know extreme left sometimes you see uh support even for North Korea sometimes so uh it's the same situation with Iran and unfortunately uh, this is a phenomenon that's uh, we are all too familiar with
0: you you speak, Shaheen, about democracy quite often in the context of human rights. Uh, in our previous episode, we discussed the political structure of the Islamic Republic and how democracy is is nowhere to be found therein. Um, and that's mostly viewed as a political question. But when you and I were first discussing, you, you brought this up to me and, and, and you view it quite differently. You view democracy not only as a political question but as a fundamental human rights question. And Why is that? Can you explain that a bit to us? Well, uh, here's the thing. It's not
1: me that's saying it. It's the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, Article 25 of this convention, which Iran has signed and ratified, explicitly uh, states that uh, people have a right to free elections. Mm -hmm. And they have a right to uh, elect their leaders through democratic means. So it's not me saying it, it is right there uh, in the probably most important international human rights law instrument, the ICCPR. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, the human rights discourse does not really uh, talk about democracy as a right. And uh, even I think ordinary people, and by ordinary, I mean people who are not uh, lawyers or who are not uh, in the field of international law. Uh, But they might not have this idea that uh, they might not know that democracy and free elections are rights. They might see it as a luxury as something that you know some people in the west might have and enjoy but uh people in countries like Iran don't have it and you know they might like it but they might they don't frame it as a right you see uh when you talk about human rights usually the things the images that comes to mind are political prisoners or torture or right. uh you know, shutting down newspapers, or freedom of speech, or uh, socioeconomic rights, right? So, of course, they're all—all all of those are human rights, and they must be discussed. Uh, but free elections, on its own, is a human right, and it is very important, actually, because obviously, through the democratic process, through free elections. Realization of other rights becomes uh, much more easy, and uh, it's it's become it becomes easier to uh, attain those rights. Mm-hmm. Whether you're talking about um, individual liberties like freedom of expression, or uh, you're talking about uh, the right to health, or, or you know. Uh, the right to education, uh, of course, uh, democratic societies provide these rights uh, much better than uh, undemocratic societies provide them. so uh, having a having free elections and having a democratic system would be a uh, great help uh, for any society to uh, achieve those uh, other rights. But unfortunately, uh, the fact that uh, democracy and relations is a right enshrined in the ICCPR in Article 25 uh, is not something that's uh, present in the human rights discourse. Uh, no, I've been to Geneva, uh, to the Human Rights Council, and uh, you know, unfortunately, over there, uh Promotion of democracy somehow uh, it's seen as a uh, Western political agenda, Uh, it's seen as tied to uh, global politics, but that's wrong. Uh, It's right there, you know, it's a human rights article 25 of the ICCPR, and it must be treated as such. Uh, Regardless of you know what is happening politically, uh, th- th- this shouldn't be um, affected by that. It should be impacted by that. Uh, and it, it's a, it's a it's a change that I seek to uh,
0: make happen uh, in the human rights discourse. In, in addition to the work that you that you do uh, ensuring that people understand um, more correctly the unique relationship between democracy and human rights and, and indeed their interdependent nature. You also write and speak and research uh, quite prolifically on another human rights issue in Iran, which is the the discrimination, the systematic um, subjugation of religious minorities in Iran uh, from the Jewish population, which has been uh, systematically depopulated by ninety percent since the Islamic Republic took over in nineteen seventy nine. I mean the the murder of Christian pastors, uh, what what has happened to the Bahai community, a religion uh, founded in Iran, uh, and they have been denied government ID cards, denied places in universities, denied uh, uh, jobs, places in schools. I mean, just a treatment that one can only compare with with the Nuremberg Laws. Um, but for you, this is, this is not only a professional commitment, it's, it's also deeply personal. Would you mind, Shaheen, t- telling us a bit about your story and, and why this work means so much to you? Sure, absolutely. Um, I was
1: uh, born into a, a Baha'i family. And uh, I actually, I did not uh, meet my father because before I was born, when my mom was pregnant with me uh, my father was um arrested and uh, perhaps summarily executed uh, by the Iranian government and uh, the revolutionary guards uh in uh, on August uh, 21 1980 my father, who was a member of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Iran, along with uh, 10 others, they were arrested, uh, and we don't know what happened to them. Uh, the Iranian government never took responsibility, and uh, they never uh, announced Know what had, uh, what had happened to them. Uh, what we do we do know is that uh, the government they also arrested and executed the group who uh, basically succeeded uh, my father and his colleagues. Uh, they executed them in uh, 1981, and then they. No, they arrested and uh, overall, uh, the Iran government executed uh, or killed uh, more than 200 Bahais. Shaheen,
0: when the regime is is just killing 200 members of a religious minority, are they charging them with anything? Or are they? Uh, I I know sometimes they're given trumped up, ridiculous charges of espionage. Sometimes they're charged with literally a religious offense. Were these individuals? I know in your father's case, regrettably, we we don't have an answer. But for those thereafter, were they charged with anything, or, or were they simply just killed? Uh, in some cases, they're just
1: uh, they're they're just assassinated. Uh, but most were uh, arrested and you know tried in uh, in, in summary trials. Uh, brief trials and you know, charged with baseless uh, crimes like spying for israel or uh you know acting against the state or you know you name it uh, at that time uh you know these laws were not uh even clearly uh defined uh, and and the the trials were secret in in many cases it wasn't you know That, uh, or and these individuals were not afforded uh, lawyers or any sort of a uh, legal process that you can uh, talk about. Uh, You know, they were just mostly accused of you know being spies for Israel or you know other similar uh, baseless national security crimes. Um, So yes, so. That's uh, my story. I never met my father and we don't know uh, what happened to him. Uh, We presume that uh, he and the others uh, who were arrested with him, uh, they were executed. But uh, how they were killed and where they are buried, uh, we don't know. Um, And... um, I uh, I left Iran when I was uh, 16 and I came to the United States uh, as a refugee um because you know bahais are not allowed to uh, attend Iran's state run university system um so you know that was the main reason that I left
0: Iran wow I I I really don't know what what to say to to such a travesty, uh, except how how sorry I am, um, but but so thankful to you that you have used this this absolute tragedy to raise the voices of others to to stand up for others uh, like yourself, like your family, who have been subjected to the abject cruelty of the Islamic Republic. Uh, but I, I know Shaheen, that in addition to defending the rights of, of Baha'is in Iran, which in and of itself, given what they're subjected to, could be a 24-7 job at the Iran Human Rights Documentation Center. You all are tireless in in raising the case of other groups, other oppressed individuals and, and, and categories of individuals in Iran. Um, one of those in particular is the LGBTQ community. Um, in the West, I think one of the... Um, things that we've been witness to over the past decade has been um the the real strides that have been taken towards lgbtq equality needless to say there there's room to grow um but in iran that hasn't been the case if if anything it's gotten worse would you mind telling us a bit about um the status of the lgbtq community in iran and and what they're faced with under the islamic republic uh um well, first,
1: uh, thank you for your very kind words. Uh, the situation of uh, LGBT community in Iran is, of course, is is very dire, I would say. Uh, Iran is uh, one of the few countries that uh, actually has the death penalty for uh, homosexual uh, relations. Under uh, Iranian law, uh, sodomy is uh, punishable by death. And uh, they have a bizarre system, a bizarre code, uh, the Islamic Penal Code, it's called. And it was lastly revised in 2013. In the latest version, uh, you know, the two parties who Commit sodomy, they divide it into the passive partner and the active partner. And the passive partner gets the death penalty anyway. And the active partner uh, gets the death penalty only uh, if he's married. If not, uh, he'd get 100 lashes. Uh, for For same sex relations between women, uh it is the that women who are convicted of uh, same-sex relations are flogged again 100 lashes um, it is uh, i i must add uh, it is difficult to prove uh, sexual crimes under uh, islamic law you, you have to have uh four witnesses Uh, But uh, the government can also secure a conviction if uh, a defendant confesses four times. And uh, we did have a case that uh, uh, a lesbian woman was uh, was brought in court, uh, I mean... And and they put pressure and torture people to make to force them to confess. But this one was uh, forced to confess four consecutive times in court, and then uh, she was sentenced to flogging. Um, So you know, actually executing people for same-sex acts uh, is rare. It it, Doesn't uh, happen that often. I think the last case that I know of uh, was in 2011. Um, But uh, apart from that, they can also uh, charge them with uh, lesser crimes, you know, like uh, disturbing, you know. Uh, public opinion, or you know, uh, immoral acts, or, 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 or uh, actually, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, sexual relations, excluding, uh, you know, adultery or sodomy, uh, are are punishable um, by imprisonment. I think I don't remember exactly at the moment. Uh, but, but, you know, so uh, LGBT people are uh, routinely uh, harassed and uh, arrested uh, for being who they
0: are. And As, as the number of, of executions of members of the LGBTQ community that we know of um, seems to be plateauing, um, one thing that activists in in this space you know those who focus particularly on the LGBTQ community in Iran focus on and discuss is the issue of gender reassignment surgery and forced gender reassignment surgery and 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 that the regime has substituted forced gender reassignment surgery or heavily incentivized gender reassignment surgery for these executions and uh, that basically they will have a gay couple, two men, say, enforce or or heavily incentivize one of them to have a gender reassignment surgery, such that it's now a heterosexual couple. Uh, one activist in this space refers this uh, as a campaign to cleanse the country of its LGBTQ population. What can you tell us about this practice um, and and more generally some of the, the the systematic oppression that they face in Iran?
1: Um. Yes,
0: uh, you, you mentioned a very
1: important point. Uh, under uh, Islamic law, uh, say change sex, uh, sex reassignment surgery is permissible, and uh, actually, Khomeini himself uh, issued a fatwa in uh, 1980s uh, to a uh, transgender woman and. Basically, uh, these operations have been taking place in Iran uh, for several decades. And the government actually, in some cases, uh, subsidizes them. Uh, And for them, uh, that's the solution, that's their solution to the problem of uh, homosexuality. They see it as a problem, and then uh, they incentivize these procedures and unfortunately uh, a lot of mental health professionals uh, suggest this to to their patients who are uh, actually who are not transgender who are just simply uh, gay or lesbian uh, and they, they don't tell them that uh, you know it's okay to be uh, gay or lesbian Instead uh they tell them that okay, you know, you need to uh have a, a sex reassignment surgery. And wow. uh I uh, I interviewed uh, for a report that we wrote uh on LGBT rights back in 2013. I recall interviewing uh individuals who you know who uh were Uh, homosexual and no they had experiences they had had mental health professionals tell them that uh, you need to uh, undergo sex reassignment surgery and uh, you know after they had in this particular case that I remember uh, after uh, she had um, started therapy and then at some point uh, she left Iran and came to to Canada when we were interviewing at that point, she told me that uh, she didn't think that she was transgender and she was reconsidering, uh, you know, continuing the the therapy or going through with the um, with surgery or anything like that. So um, that's uh, th- that's a very concerning issue. Uh, another, you know, very Sad situation is that uh, when an LGBT, LGBT person is uh, is abused at home, they do not have any recourse. Uh, they they cannot go to the authorities and uh, file a complaint because if they go and then they say that okay, you know my my father, for example, hit me because I'm gay. Then they've incriminated them themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a very troubling situation because, you know, in, the, in a lot of cases, uh, in these individuals, they the, the primary source of uh, harm for them is their families and the pressure right. they they undergo at home. But then the state uh not only doesn't provide them with any protection but if they go to the state they would be persecuted further um uh, you know th- th- that's a that's a very uh, sad situation and also uh, another note I would like to add is that uh with, re- with respect to honor killings uh it also uh can happen to uh gay individuals, even gay men. It's not something that Hmm. uh, only happens to women. It can happen to gay men. And under Iranian law, uh, a father who kills his children cannot be put to death because under Islamic law, he is the owner of uh, his children's blood. as, As you know, to literally translate it. And uh, as such, uh, the father cannot be put to death. So if a father uh, kills his son because his son is gay, uh, the maximum penalty for him would be three to ten years imprisonment. So the maximum he could get is ten years in prison. Uh, and that depends on uh, its contingent on the court finding that uh this person uh poses uh, poses a threat to the society you no know? so it's not even wow.
0: guaranteed in addition to the crimes against uh, l g b t q persons uh and that persecution um something that you've written extensively about that the Human Rights Documentation Center has covered extensively in various reports is the legal and systematic uh, discrimination uh, against women. One women's rights activist uh, refers to this as, as the gender apartheid in Iran. Can, can we discuss a, a bit about that uh, and, and the status of women under the Islamic Republic in Iran?
1: Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the, the law... Uh, is so uh, backward and and so uh, I don't know how to describe it uh, cruel uh, that uh, is really shocking Uh, under Iranian law rape is not a separate crime I want to repeat that again under Iranian law rape is not a separate crime rather it is a subcategory of uh, adultery or fornication. Okay, wow. so as such, because you know it is not seen as a crime against a person, it is seen as a crime uh, against you know religious law against you know God's law. You know, because it is that way uh, under Iranian law uh adultery and fornication if somebody commits it they can repent to a judge and then uh they would not receive uh the stoning or or, or lashing depending on on the circumstances so under Iranian law rape uh you know is uh is a subcategory of Uh, fornication or adultery it is punishable by death however if somebody repents before a judge and the judge accepts that repentance uh, he would be sentenced instead to between six months and two years of imprisonment for rape Hmm. so on one hand, somebody could be put to death for it, but if a judge ap- uh, accepts that person's repentance, he could be sentenced to six months in prison. Okay. Wow. And uh, you know, when I was describing, I uh, I explicitly I used the male pronoun. I said he could be sentenced to death or six to uh, six months to uh, Two years, I didn't use she, and there's a reason for it because under Iranian law, uh, rape is explicitly uh, it can only happen, you know, if there is a penetration by a, a man uh, to a woman or to uh, another man that would be sodomy, but a woman cannot commit rape okay because because of their traditional notion and traditional definition of 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 what rape is and more troubling more troubling is that uh, short of rape uh, there is no uh, sexual assault crime okay and I'm sorry to be a bit bit graphic but it I, it, it is uh, important to note this and it's important for your uh, listeners to know uh, what happens when uh, a society is governed by islamic law under their definition uh, rape only happens when uh, there's penetration by a penis up to you no know, more if the penet- penetration is more than the point of circumcision okay but if the penetration is by anything else, is it digital or it's by a metal rod or whatever, whatever sort of violence that you can imagine, that's not rape under Iranian law. okay? And since there is no sexual assault law, okay, any type of sexual violence that you know can happen, if it doesn't involve penetration by man's penis, it doesn't constitute rape. And, and there's no sexual assault. It doesn't constitute sexual assault. It can, it can only be uh, prosecuted as, as just battery, you know, as if, you know, or uh, alternatively, it could be prosecuted as a, a lesser uh, sexual immoral act. So, and you know, let's say that to, to give an example, uh, kissing, right, uh, by two unmarried people, is uh, is prohibited, right, uh, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it, it's punishable by law. I have to, uh, I don't recall exactly what the punishment is at the moment, but uh basically if if you have a violent uh sexual assault against somebody uh, if it's it doesn't meet the technical and by technical I really mean <laughs> very technical definition of rape under uh, their law the punishment for the most hideous heinous sexual crime is exactly the same. As a punishment for consensual kissing, okay because uh, because the mental state of the victim is not important under the law, it doesn't matter that the victim consented or not okay uh, the, the only the only difference that it makes is that of course the victim if it's a it's not consensual the victim wouldn't be punished of course but as to what happens to the perpetrator uh, it doesn't make a difference whether it's uh, kissing or whether it's a violent sexual assault and th- th- that's very disturbing that uh there is uh, under iranian law you know uh, the, the punishment for uh even, even for rape again if the Uh, perpetrator repents he could get as few as six months in prison and if the crime doesn't involve the technical definition of rape uh, which is you know penile penetration more than the point of circumcision uh, it really isn't a sexual crime uh, or sexual assault. Uh, it is not prosecuted as such. So, uh, you know, we really
0: uh, have a horrible situation. So, so law in, in the Islamic Republic in Iran does seemingly everything it can to protect the perpetrators of, of violent crime, specifically violent, heinous sexual crime against women. But the islamic regime is not a stranger to violence Uh, it uh, we recently read a report that those arrested for uh, protesting in the november 2019 uprising many of them were uh, forced to make confessions because they were threatened with sexual violence against their family members they were threatened uh, with the notion that security forces would rape their girlfriends uh, for example if they did not confess Uh, you've spoken about the widespread use of torture, both in prison uh, under this regime and as a form of punishment. What can you tell us about violence and and, and physical torture as a means of punishment under the Islamic Republic?
1: Uh, Well, uh, I would like your uh, listeners to know that the Iranian government still amputates uh, fingers for the crime of theft uh every year uh, you know a few people uh, face this punishment um just i think it was last year uh, a man was convicted of stealing sheep uh in uh, Khorasan province in uh, iran's northeast and uh, his his fingers were amputated uh, And floggings, uh, of course, uh, are are routinely uh, performed for uh, for the crimes of uh, of drinking uh, alcohol. Uh, also under Article 638 of the Fifth Book of the Islamic Penal Code, um, if a person uh, drinks water. Or food uh, in in public during the month of Ramadan, they could be flogged up to seventy-four lashes. So, for even for one month a year, uh, just eating and drinking public could uh, end up a person who eats or drinking public could end up being flogged. So, you know, uh, of course, these punishments are all. Uh, prohibited under uh, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, to which Iran is a party, uh, but unfortunately, uh, they do take place. Uh, Iran actually has a uh, specific uh, regulatory code on uh, how to carry out these punishments, and we have uh, we have translated this code. It is available on our website. Uh, it is a it's called. Uh, its title is really self-explanatory. Uh, it says the the regulatory code on uh, stoning, castrations, amputations, and the like. <laughs> you, know? uh, wow. y- you can look it up on our website, and it explains in gruesome detail, you know, what are uh, the exact procedures of carrying out uh, these punishments. Uh, stoning uh, is provided for under uh, the Islamic penal code uh, as punishment for uh, adultery uh, it hasn't been carried out in the in recent years uh, i think it's been seven or eight years perhaps that it hasn't been carried out i'm not sure uh, when was the last time it was carried out but uh, it is still uh, possible to execute execute people for that Uh, it's just that uh, they've put a moratorium on it they're not carrying it out because of international pressure Uh, but it is uh, available as a punishment and um, yeah so you have it you know stoning amputation uh, flogging and of course public executions uh, you know They they actually carry out public executions and, you know, you can see these horrible pictures of little children uh, coming out to uh, see these uh, public executions, you know, and they usually carry them out like, what, four or five in the morning. And you see these scenes of, you know, people gathering in a uh, public square to witness an execution. It is really uh, gruesome. But unfortunately, that's the reality of Iranian life right now.
0: shine, thank you. You've given us this disturbing but necessary view into life for the people of Iran under the occupation of the Islamic Republic. Are there any final notes uh, that our listeners should take home with them about the human rights situation in Iran? I just wanted to add shortly uh, as a final point.
1: Uh, mentioning how uh, you know, the Islamic Republic is uh, an ISIS that has you know, uh, become acceptable, unfortunately. Another practice that happens in Iran, and almost nobody talks about it, nobody, uh, even uh, it's not, it's rarely discussed in, uh, in the UN mechanisms, and I've tried to, I've actually raised this issue in, in the Human Rights Council, is the issue of Imprisonment of debtors. Uh, hmm. So and actually, they comprise uh, the largest uh, number of, polit- of prisoners in Iran. In 2018, uh, there were 18,000 people imprisoned in Iran for failure uh, to pay a debt or financial obligation, wow. and that in- includes, uh, you know, people who. You know who don't have insurance, and you know uh, they may have injured or killed someone in an accident, and then they cannot uh, pay the the blood money, uh, the dia, as they say. Uh, it includes uh, men who uh, whose wives have asked for the uh, traditional mehriya, and it's a sum that uh, you know a husband promises to pay his wife. Uh, at uh, upon the wife's request and uh, you know many people you know promise to pay sums that they don't have uh, because you know they're in love and they make these promises but then uh, you know when the marriage hits uh, turbulent waters and you know uh, the woman demands to have the uh, the marriage uh, d- then the some the, some of these men they don't have uh, the money to to pay, and so they end up in prison. Uh, And also includes people who just uh, who've gone bankrupt. Uh, Recently, uh, a person, Iran's like, I think, um, longest serving uh, prisoner of uh, uh, for, for financial debt it was a factory owner apparently who had gone bankrupt and had spent 20 years in prison 20 years wow and uh, in that situation uh, you can only uh, get released if uh, you either uh, pay your creditors or if the, the creditors you know withdraw their complaint against you so and this is an issue that unfortunately doesn't get any coverage because, uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not very attractive. Maybe maybe it's, it, it, there there's no uh, constituency that would push for change. Uh, and, and and frankly, it's, it's a gross violation of uh, it's a clear violation of Article 11 of the ICCPR and many people don't know this. Under international law, this practice of imprisoning people for death is categorically forbidden under Article 11 of the ICCPR. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, uh, this uh, hasn't been addressed. In my meetings with the UN Special Rapporteur, uh, Dr. Rahman, I've I've brought it up. Uh, I've mentioned it to him that uh, this has happened, and I will continue to push for it. I hoped, and I, I actually I gave it the first time that I was able to uh, uh, give a speech at the uh, Human Rights Council uh, I, in 2019, uh, I, I gave a speech and I raised this issue. Uh, and I hope that uh, it is picked up by the Iran's human rights community and others. And uh, this gross
0: injustice um, is addressed. It's tragic. It's barbarous. It's gruesome. It's abhorrent. I mean, none of these descriptors are sufficient. None of them do justice in describing what's happening in Iran. I think you put it best, uh, Shaheen, in saying that the Islamic Republic is like ISIS, but with oil revenues, with a state, with an army, with a judicial branch. I mean, that's what it is. Um, But because of the bravery of the people of Iran in standing up, because of the, the perseverance and the support of people like you, Iranians far from home, who, despite immense personal loss, despite having family members stolen from you unjustly, uh, you stand up, you push back, you ensure that the crimes uh, that are done against the people of Iran are not unheard, are not unseen, the people of Iran have a voice, uh, and so thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for all the work that you do, that you and your colleagues at the Iran Human Rights Documentation Center do, and that I know that you'll continue to do. And I hope we'll have the pleasure of talking to you once again. Thank you, Shaheen. Thank you for joining us on our third episode of Iran Uncovered, brought to you by Nufti. Continue to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our website, www.nuftiron.org. We'll see you next time.